Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 11. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 11. We've been continuing through the life and ministry of David, exploring him as he's now the king of all of Israel. And during this time, he has been right with God. He has been asking God for direction, asking what he would, God would have him to do. He's been uh, being a blessing to others who were expecting to die. For example, Mephibosheth. That David reached out specifically and worked with Mephibosheth and put him at his table, even though Mephibosheth should have been, in that culture and the time, be sentenced to death. We could see that David was used to bring the Ark of the Covenant and bring it to Jerusalem. And David even had the desire to build God a house. And all the way up to this time, from 1 Samuel to 2 Samuel, David has been the a good guy. But now we find in the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 11 that we find that there's a role reversal and for the first time we see David as not the hero of the story but the villain of the story. If you don't mind, let's read about this historical account in the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 11. The book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 11. The Bible says this, And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed <laughs> the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived, and sent, and told David, and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house, and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of the meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down into his house, David said unto Uriah, Comest thou not from thy journey? Why didst thou not go down to thy house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark 
and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house and eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thy, thou livest and as thou so liveth, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, tarry here today also and tomorrow I'll let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and on the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of the Lord, but went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah into the place where he knew that the valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab and there fell some of the people of the servants of David and Uriah the Hittite died also. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a name that we find uh, three times in its entirety here in this passage here? In verse number three, you see Uriah the Hittite. Verse number six, you see his full name again, Uriah the Hittite. And again, verse 17, Uriah the Hittite. And with the Lord's help, we're going to do a character study examining this man, Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you this morning, we're asking that you would open up the Bible in a very special way. That you would open it up, that we could learn of you and understand more about this man of Uriah the Hittite, and that we could see his integrity, we could see his loyalty, and we could see the consequences of sin in David's life. We're asking that you would use this to help us to make sure within ourselves that we're right, understanding the principle that any of us are capable of anything at any time if we allow the flesh control. I'm asking that you would let this be clear, let it be understood, and let us see the serious consequences because of sin. Again, I dare not trust my own, so the best I know how I surrender myself to you and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit and that you could get your work accomplished once again through your precious word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We understand that we see a lot of David in this passage, but if you don't mind, I want to look things through Uriah's eyes to see this character study and this event through him as he is technically the hero of this, where David is the villain. Let's look at things as we see this passage here. The very first thing I'd like to see here is Uriah's wife. Uriah's wife. Now we can see that this is a time that David is sending his troops to war. Notice with me in verse 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now we can see the previous chapter before when the Ammonites had... Um, offended David and his 
envoys and his messengers that David, of course, has retaliated and has gone back. And this is a continuation of this as they're going and they're destroying the rest of the Ammonites that during this time, David decided he was going to stay home. He sent Joab the general. He sent the troops. He sent the mighty men. But David, for the first time, has stayed at home. He's only about 50 years at this time. He still has health and strength. His strength doesn't wane until later on. And so he had the health to go out. He could have been the leader. He could have been out there uh, directing traffic. But he stayed at home. And this provided him to have a little bit too much time. You know, whenever we're vulnerable is when we're home. And we take off the armor of God. And we relax for a bit. That's when Satan likes to attack. That's where Satan likes to work in us. When we're no longer on guard, where our minds are relaxed. This is exactly the time that Satan begins to work within our lives to get us to mess up. Notice as we continue to go on in verse number 2. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose up from his bed. Now again, here we have David. David, it was a time that David was supposed to be asleep. But David woke up and began to uh, wander around, decided, I'm going to take a walk. Goes to the roof of his palace, which is overseeing all of Jerusalem. Can see a good view of everything below him. And as he's doing this, in verse number 2, And it came to pass in the evening time that David arose up from his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Now at this time we have to understand the culture and the history. They did not have running water at this time. They didn't have nice water heaters that we have. They didn't have those type of things. But they did live out in the desert. So oftentimes what would happen is that people in order to draw a bath is that they would put water in the bathtub, what they would have as a bathtub, on top of the roof during the day. And the hot desert sun would begin to warm up the water so by the time evening came about, the water would be nice and warm because of the desert heat. In addition, people had it on top of their roofs and they usually had a small half fence or a security type fence around to protect them so most people could not see. You couldn't see looking on top of the roof. David had a different vantage point because he was on the palace. What we're trying to say is that at this point right here, Bathsheba hasn't done anything wrong. She is doing her normal duties. She's in her own house and what she thinks is privacy. It is David, however, that is the one in the wrong. That when he was out, he should have been at war, but instead he's at home. He's got free time. He should have been resting, but instead he is up wandering around. He gets up on top of the roof, begins to survey. He sees this lady and immediately right then and there, he should have turned away, went away. You understand the first glance is not necessarily sin. The second glance is. The first glance may not be sin, but the lingering glance is. And that was the problem is that David should have immediately, nope, I'm going to go back inside. He should have immediately, but he did not. He stayed there and watched. Bathsheba may not have had any clue what David was doing, but David did. And David was the one who was wrong. May I pause here? What happened to David? You understand that before you could ever have a public fall, it starts with a private failing. That before anyone falls in public, it starts with them not being right with God in their heart. They may look good in the outside, 
But they're wrong in the inside. The Bible goes on and explains the first, first steps. The very first step of backsliding is not to be thankful. Romans chapter 1. That once you are not thankful for what God has given to you, you start to slide away from him. That distance between him. That thankfulness keeps us close to God. But he's no longer thankful. <laughs> when you're no longer thankful, you start to get more of an entitled personality. Instead of saying, hey, I don't deserve this. God gave this as a gift. You start to believe the press that you deserve this. I'm the king. I deserve whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. You understand we're not deserving of anything except for hell. God out of his grace has given us much more than we deserve, than we can think or ask. The second thing that begins to slide in our heart privately is our prayer life. Our prayer life no longer becomes heated. We're no longer talking with God. We start to talk at God. Then we start to talk to the ceiling and our prayers go nowhere. We just say words. But we no longer have that intimate, close relationship with God in prayer. Once that begins to slide, then our Bible reading begins to slack off. That we start to see words. We start to get too busy to read it. We start missing here and there. And all of that is happening privately. Before anything outward ever happens. And so this is what happened to David. Whenever you're in your flesh, whenever you're not close to God, anyone is capable of anything at any time. Anyone is capable of anything at any time. Whether it's anyone in here or whether anyone up here, anyone is capable of anything at any time. By the way, that thought should scare you. You should have enough self-awareness to understand that you are capable of anything at any time. This is why it's so important that we stay close to God. Because you let your flesh be in control and you could ruin everything. And just 20 seconds, what you spent 30 years of working close with the Lord for. Destroy everything. So David had a moment of being in the flesh. And he lingered. But yet God put up obstacles. May I also explain to you a principle? Is that God, out of his loving kindness, were more often than not put up fences to keep you from sin that you have to hop over to get to that sin. If you think back in your own life, how many times that God tried to stop you from sinning, he put something in your way and you jumped over the fence anyways. You jumped over the barrier that God placed in you to get to the sin. We can't blame God for allowing us to sin. We purposely ran to it. We're going to see that right here. Notice if you don't mind. And verse number three. And David sent and inquired after the woman. So what happened is that David came down and began to ask, Hey, who's that lady over there? Who's that woman? And he begins to describe kind of where she lives at. Hey, tell me about her. Tell me about this. Now notice the servant in verse number three. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Notice this question mark. The servant is posing this as a question. He's answering the question, but he's doing it with a question mark with the idea of why are you asking? And there's two reasons why this is being posed this way. First of all, it's because Bathsheba was already familiar with David. 
At least in passing, you say, how do you know this? Well, her father, Iliam, which is mentioned here, it said in verse number um, three, and David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? Now that should have triggered something because Eliam was one of his mighty men. Who were David's mighty men, by the way? David's mighty men were a group of men that began to follow David when David was on the run from Saul. That these men who were distressed, people that were in debt, people that were discouraged, they came to David for hope. They came to David for answers and they began to be David's mighty men. David began to teach them the Psalms. He began to teach them the word of God. He taught them how to walk with God. And by faith, these mighty men did wonderful things. You'll see them mentioned uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23. You'll mention, see them mentioned in the book of 1 Chronicles. You'll see them as as the mighty men mentioned all throughout the book of uh, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Uh, <coughs> they're mentioned often as the mighty men. These are men that David worked with. This is one of David's mighty men and Bathsheba's one of his daughters. He should at least have had a passing thing. And if nothing else, the question should have done something to stop him. This is one of your mighty men's daughters. Not only that, her grandfather, Ahipothel, is one of David's advisors. So when David says, hey, I need to talk to someone about this plan. Is it wise? Epiphethel was one of his advisors. So his, his, her grandfather is his advisor. Her father is one of David's mighty men. David had at least a passing knowledge of who this young lady was. So we could see the question was arise like, you already know who she is. This is who she is. You know her daddy. You know her grandfather. The second question was also posed as a warning. You know who she is. I don't know what you're thinking, but you shouldn't be thinking. It was the idea. The servant wasn't a fool, but it was asking a question as an idea, warning. No. Why, why are you even asking about this? Why is this crossing your mind? Why is this even a question right now? Again, the servant may not know what's going on, even though there's going to be some people that's going to be involved in this in just a second. But this is a warning. This is a fence. David had to jump over this warning to get to the sin. He had to jump that fence to get to the sin. God will often put barriers to keep us away from sin. And he does that out of his, out of his goodness. But we jump over that barrier to get to that sin when our flesh is in control, and we do it on purpose. David did not accidentally commit adultery with Bathsheba. It was something he purposely got to in the midst of warnings and the midst of barriers. Notice as we continue to go on, verse number four, and David sent messengers and took her, and she came into him, and he lay with her, now what happened here is that David sent messengers to go get Bathsheba. Came to the door. Sorry, Miss Bathsheba. I just want to let you know that the king wants to see you. And the way that it was posed inside of the emphasis of the word sent and took carries the idea of forceful authority, which has the idea of not having a choice. Right? Your parents sometimes say things in a way where you know it wasn't a suggestion. Right? Don't you think you ought to do dishes? That's not a suggestion, right? That is something you better do it. I'm just trying to be nice about it. 
That was the same thing that's posed here. That Bathsheba, the king, wants to see you and he wants to see you now. That's not a suggestion, that's an order. That is something that's expected to be obeyed. When she came up to see him, it said that, she, that he took her. Again, that same emphasis is placed on the word here, which carries the idea of forceful. Now, <coughs> it carries the idea here that he probably used his authority as a king to convince her. She has her own part to play, but he was probably using his authority to get his way. In regards of what happened, the deed was done. The Bible says in the end of verse 4, she returned to her house. So what happened is that they had one night, one night of an adulterous affair, one night of sin, and David was expecting this to be done and over with. It was one night, everyone's at war, no one got hurt, it's all said and done, got out of my system, it's done. But let me tell you, sin is never done. Now that sin is there, the consequences begin to go. Verse number 5. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. So a couple weeks later, David receives a message from Bathsheba and said, because of that one night, I'm expecting. And she's in a helpless position. What is she going to do? Her husband's gone. He's gone off to war. She's expecting it's from David. What is, da what is David going to do now? Which now... With this backdrop here, we're now introduced to Uriah the Hittite. The second thing I'd like to show you is not only Uriah's wife, but Uriah's loyalty. Uriah's loyalty. Notice with me in verse 6. And David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sends Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come to him, David demanded how uh, of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. So David said, uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. And so the Bible seems to indicate in the Psalms uh, quite often that immediately after iniquity, which is sin, comes the idea of lying. That following right after. That as soon as someone sins, there comes right after the idea of lying. No one wants to admit that they messed up, so they try to cover it up. They begin to lie. So David begins to lie, and he comes up with a scheme that let's go ahead and cover this up. Let's go ahead and make everyone assume that it's not my child. Let's fix this. And so he sends Uriah from battle. Now they're in the middle of fighting a war. They're fighting against the enemies, the Ammonites. And yet he calls out of all the troops, give me Uriah the Hittite, one of my mighty men. You bring him back. I've got something for him. Joab's the commander and says, all right, well, that's what the king wants. Hey, you need to go back home. So Uriah makes it back home. He arrives before the king and the king says, yeah, how's the battle going? How's Joab going? You can imagine Uriah saying, why are you asking me? I'm just a soldier. Don't you have runners for this? <laughs> and David's just saying, how's the war going? How's things going? David probably didn't even care about this, but afterwards said, hey, Uriah, why don't you go home and spend some time with your wife? Why don't you go home and relax for a second? I know the battle's been there. I'm going to give you some leave. And what David did in order to uh, make things 
better is that he sent a mess of meat from the king. So the king had his cooks prepare a nice feast. You could almost see that if you put this in modern terms, Uriah comes, David says, hey, you've been fighting hard for me. I want you to go back. And here's a red lobster gift card. Go take your wife out. Let's go. Do something. You go have a nice romantic meal with your wife. You go back and enjoy yourself. I mean, he just didn't send them home. He set up a feast for them. Have a nice romantic meal. Have a good night. He was doing everything he could to cover up his sin. Unfortunately, Uriah had a little bit more loyalty than that. Notice what happens. In fact, let's pause here and let's understand who Uriah was. The Bible says that Uriah was a Hittite. When we talk about that he is a Hittite, it means that he's not a Hebrew person. The Hittites come from the country of Turkey. But somewhere where David was uh, running from Saul, Uriah came down and joined with David. Something else that we notice interesting about Uriah is that even though he was not a gent or he was a Gentile by birth, his name is Hebrew. And that word in Hebrew carries the idea, my light is the Lord. My light is the Lord. He may have been a Hittite by birth, but he belonged to the God of Israel by choice. That he, along the lines, he had decided he was going to follow the God of Israel. And that he was, a, he was a believer. He had trusted in God's promises. And that he had learned from David. And now, David is telling him to go home. Come back from the battlefield. You go relax. Go spend some time home. He rewards them, prepares for them. But instead of going home, Uriah does something else. Notice with me in verse 9. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord. And went not down to his house. So instead of going home, instead of using the red lobster gift card, instead of enjoying the feast that had been prepared by the king and to have that nice meal with Bathsheba, in fact, pause there. Imagine Bathsheba at this time. She hears a knock on the door. Miss Bathsheba, we have a delivery from the king. We have this great feast. And she's like, okay, what's going on? Later on, she hears that Uriah's in the city, but he never comes home. What's going on? Has no clue what's going on. But Uriah, he sleeps with the rest of the servants inside of David's house. So all the servants are sleeping. Uriah is there. David's curious, and so he calls him in the next morning. Verse 10. And when they told David, saying Uriah went not <laughs> down into his house, David said to Uriah, Comest thou not from thy journey? Why then dost thou not go down to thy house? So Uriah... I mean, you're back from the battlefield. You're back home. Your home's over there. Why didn't you go home? Why didn't you go home? Notice Uriah's answer. And this is a great message in itself. A great message of loyalty. Notice this. And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then not go into my house and eat and drink to lie with my wife as thou livest and as thy soul livest? I will not do this thing. What Uriah is saying here is that there's a battle going on. There's a battle going on, and how can I relax when there's a battle going on? Remember, the ark represents God's power. 
God's presence, rather. So he's saying the ark's out there. God's presence out there. God's in the middle of a spiritual battle. God's presence is there. Why should I relax when there's a spiritual war going on? He says, my nation's out there. Uh, is all of Israel's out there. That's the nation he lived in. I live in Israel. My nation's out there. My country is fighting a battle. He says, Judah, that's my family. My family is out there fighting. How can I relax when there's a spiritual war going on? When they're all out there in open warfare? How can I? Not only that, he mentions, he says, and my Lord Joab, my biblical authorities out there in the midst of the fight. He's going to war. There's a spiritual battle going on. My biblical authority, Joab, he's my boss. He's my general. He's the guy who, who I answer to. He's out there fighting. Not only that, but he said... And the servants of my Lord. The people, my brothers in arms, those that I've joined together that we fight with, they're out there. How in the world can I relax when this battle is going on? How can I leave the battlefield and go take some time of ease when there's a battle raging? This is the battle that needs to go on. But then he ties it in more. At the end of it, he says, as thou livest. The person of address there is David. As thou, David, livest, and as thy, David, soul liveth, I will not do this thing. David, I can't go out. I'm doing this because I want to honor you. I'm going out there because this is the battle we're fighting for you. How can I leave this? You understand there is a spiritual war raging. And there is a lot to do. There are people who are dying and going to hell. And there's a great battle raging. And you know what happens when people are not in the battle? They find themselves getting into sin. You understand? The Bible says that we're supposed to put on the whole armor of God. That we may withstand the wiles of the devil. That we're supposed to be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, uh, <laughs> roar hath his lion, seeking whom he can devour. Satan is always trying to find a vulnerable spot. And we're most vulnerable when we take our armor off, we relax, and we try to step away from the war. That's when we're most vulnerable. That's what happened to David. David's in this whole mess because he took off his armor and he found himself with too much time. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking a break. We've talked about this earlier. There's nothing wrong with taking a break. There's nothing wrong with relaxing. There's something wrong that when everyone else is in the midst of the battle and you are not. Here we can see Uriah's loyalty. How can I put off my armor? How can I relax when the rest of my brothers, when the rest of my family, when my country, when everything's at stake and they're in the battle... How can I just take my armor off and take this time of ease? I can't. He says, I can't do it. I will not do it, David. I cannot do it. Well, David's entering panic mode now. He was just hoping that he can get Uriah, take some leave, go back home and spend some time with his wife and uh, make it look like this was Uriah's child. Walk away, look clean, but it's not working out. He's already lied about this, tried to cover up. Now he's getting more desperate. And the desperation 
gets worse. Notice with me as we go on in verse number 12. And David said to Uriah, tarry here today also, and tomorrow I'll let thee leave. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he, David, made Uriah drunk. And then even he went to lie in his bed with his servants of the Lord, but went not down to his wife. So David said, you know what? I'm going to have to take drastic measures. And he purposefully and with intent made Uriah drunk. The Bible gives the warning in the book of Habakkuk. Woe unto them. That word woe means cursed. Cursed be unto them that maketh thy neighbor to drink. David did this with purpose and with intent. And he was figuring that if he could get Uriah drunk, that Uriah would stumble back to his home. And that way he could get the cover up. But do you understand that a drunken Uriah was more loyal and more faithful than a sober David at this time? Imagine that. Uriah still remains loyal. How can I do this when my brothers are out to war? How can I relax and go home? The fight goes on. How can I leave my post? How can I allow this? And Uriah would not stop his loyalty. Well, David is showing to be a pretty bad villain at this time. Taking advantage of his opportunity. Taking advantage of his men. Taking advantage of the situation. And it is still not working out for him. But we see Uriah here who's loyal. He's loyal in everything. He's loyal in his position. He's loyal to David. He doesn't realize all that David has done. And yet he's still loyal. He doesn't realize it's, but he's remaining loyal. He's being loyal to everything. Which brings us to this last thing, Uriah's faithfulness. Uriah's faithfulness. Notice with me in verse number 14. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab. He wrote a letter to Joab. We could see what does this say in verse 15. And he wrote a letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. So what he said is that, Joab, you're the commander out there. What I want you to do is I want you to put Uriah in the hottest part of the battle. The battle where it's the most dangerous. And then what I want you to do is when the battle in the fighting is the most intense, I want you to withdraw everyone else and leave them all by himself. In essence, he has now committed a conspiracy to murder. He has planned to murder Uriah the Hittite. Uriah has done nothing wrong but show loyalty. But David, because of his own sin, has committed murder. But the most amazing thing in this is that Uriah is so faithful and so trusted. Notice what David did in verse 14. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. So David wrote this letter to kill Uriah. It is his death sentence. But he knew that Uriah would be so faithful that David folded the letter, stamped it, gave it to Uriah, and Uriah carried his own death sentence, handed it to Joab, who was already a murderer in his own might, right? He handed his own death sentence to Uriah, or Uriah handed it to Joab, because David knew that Uriah would be faithful. He wouldn't look. 
Imagine if Uriah was not faithful and in the midst of it, he said, I want to see what this says, opens it up and sees his own death sentence. That would have been an issue, right? Probably would have turned around and had some words with David. But Uriah was so faithful that David knew he wouldn't even look at this letter that carried his own death sentence. He was faithful to the end. He was loyal. He was faithful. He had something we call integrity. Integrity is something that is missing today. Integrity carries the idea to be complete or whole. It it, it carries the idea to be a complete circle. But we may define it like this. Integrity is doing what is right when no one else is looking. Integrity is doing what is right when no one else is looking. Now, to be honest, in this ancient world with the Israelites, it was very common for the Hebrew people to make a vow that in the time of war that they would not go to their wives at this time. So Uriah is keeping a vow, he's keeping integrity, but you know that none of the other soldiers would have ever known if Uriah had gone to They probably wouldn't have cared. He could have got away with it. He could have very easily. The king is telling him to go home. He could have broken that vow. He could have compromised his values. And no one would have batted an eye. No one would have looked down at him. But yet he had integrity. Integrity is doing what's right when no one else is looking. It's also doing what's right even when you can get away with it. He was a man of integrity. A man of character. A man that was willing to do what was right, no matter what the circumstances. That is something we're missing out today. You understand, integrity is not who you are on the outside. Integrity is who you are on the inside. Integrity is who you are when the lights are off in your bed and you're left alone with your thoughts. That's integrity. Integrity is who you are when no one else is at home and you could do whatever you want. Integrity is when no one's checking on your internet and you could do whatever you want and you choose to do right anyways. Integrity is a teenager who's at home with the cable box and chooses not to watch anything even though he never get caught. That's integrity. It is character. It is doing what is right when no one else is looking. And Uriah is a picture of integrity. Even when the king is begging him, go home. Uriah say, I know that you gave me permission, but it is not right. I will not go home. I will not go home. He is a man full of integrity. Now, as we examine back to David, let me show you an interesting thing about this passage. Notice with me in 2 Samuel chapter number 11, and I want you to underline the word sent when it is used. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse, (coughs) notice all these verbs here. Verse number one, we could see David sent Joab. All right, we have the first thing of the word sent In verse number one, David sent Joab. Verse number three, and David sent, and he inquired of the woman. So he sent Joab. He sent and inquired of the woman. Notice another word of use of the word sent in verse number four. And David sent messengers. Again in verse number six, and David sent Joab. Once again, we find it in verse number 14. 
And David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by this. This word sent is an action verb. It is a verb that shows action and it shows purposeful intent. And no time in this story was David's sin an accident. Someone who sins is someone who's in control. And David was in control of his actions. He could have stopped these things at any time. We know he was influenced by sin. But David was in control of his actions. This whole story comes because David's purposeful actions. He has allowed sin to control him. And he is purposefully with intent. This so what we're trying to say here is that this was never an accident. His, his affair with Bathsheba was not an accident. His cover-up was not an accident. His murder was not an accident. This was all purposeful intent that he made. And it could have been stopped at any time. He was in control. But on the other hand, we have Uriah who showed unwavering faith and loyalty. He was loyal to the end. He was someone of integrity. And so we could see two people here who were in control of their actions. David was in control of his actions to get to sin and to perform sin. And you had Uriah who was in control of his actions to do what was right. Now, what we're trying to warn you with is that sin is not an accident in your life. As a Christian, you don't have to sin. Every time you sin, it has been a purposeful choice to sin. You could live your life one of two ways. Chasing after sin or living your life full of integrity. Getting away with what you want or doing what is right. What we have here is a comparison of two people. The few times that David is the bad guy. And by the way, his sin is going to have consequences that are going to cover the rest of the book of 2 Samuel. And his consequences that if he knew about, he would have not touched Bathsheba with a 10-foot pole. He would have stayed far away from her. But we don't understand the consequences our sin has. But we have the character of, an, of Uriah who did what was right, even when he could have got away with it. He was a man of integrity. Two people in control of their actions. One chose sin purposely. The other chose to do what was right purposely. What about you? You understand the sin that you have in your life was because you went to it. You very honestly, if you were honest with yourself, jumped across barriers to get to that sin. You are in control of your actions. And one day you're going to stand before God. But before that, there's going to be consequences for your action. Sin will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay and take you further than you ever wanted to go. But I don't want to leave you with that. I want to tell you that there's always a way of hope. After David was confronted with his sin, he wrote Psalm 51. And the heart of it is create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That what I'm trying to tell you is that wherever you are at, stop and move towards God. Stop what you're doing now and go to Him. God is a gracious God who wants you to be right with Him. And He's willing to take you back 
if you're willing to confess your sins. The Bible says in 1 John chapter uh, 1 verse 9 that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There is a way back to God. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. What you need to do is stop what you're doing now and go forward for him. Maybe there's someone in here that's never accepted Jesus as your personal savior. Let me tell you, because of your sins that you owe God an awful price. But God is willing to forgive you of your sins because of what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross of Calvary to pay the debt you owed God for your sins. And maybe today there's someone in here that needs to accept Jesus as their savior to forgive them of all the sins that they've ever done. God is willing to do that. For those of you who are saved, you can be saved and still sin. David is an example of that. David was someone who was in love with the Lord, wrote Psalms, was used of God in a special way. But anyone is capable of anything at any time. And he had to jump over barriers to get to sin. And now he has the consequences. Wherever you're at, if you're struggling with something, let me tell you, you got people in here that care for you. And we're willing to take you from where you are and help you move forward. We need to be men and women who are determined to be people of integrity. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.